Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Talk That Science here on Echobox Radio, in which we open up a discussion on the most pressing questions in science. Today, we will discuss circular design. It's a bit different than usual because we have a pre-recorded episode, but we will keep an eye on the chat, so if you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate to leave a message for us. Nature itself is circular. Trees produce fruits that birds can eat, and their feces in return replenish the soil so that new trees can grow. If a bird builds a nest, it simply uses branches from the tree that will decompose into the soil again. For us humans, it now seems almost impossible to go back to such a circular ecosystem. We have started to use up materials of which there is only a finite amount available on Earth, like cobalt, copper and nickel. While the bird's nest will deteriorate into the soil again, we have started to design and build products in such a way that the materials cannot be recycled anymore. Even worse, once we are done with a product, we create waste that is harmful for the environment, like the plastics in our oceans, for example. To create all these products, we are also using up fossil fuels and hereby releasing extreme amounts of carbon dioxide into the air. The Dutch government has aimed to make our economy circular in 2050, and this means that we need to start designing products in a circular way. So in this episode, I will talk with Deborah Sumter and Christian Maats about what can help designers make their products more circular. So today we have our two guests, and in front of me sits Christian Maats. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so you finished uh, a master's in product design a while ago, yep. and now you're doing coaching on sustainable innovation and entrepreneurship at a company called Circo. And you're doing similar work at uh, a place called Norderwind. True, yeah. And then you also work at a company called DFNS, I believe. Yeah. Um, where you design products that we can use to take care of our clothes uh, so that we can use them longer. Um, and you also teach courses in industrial design at the University of Delft. Yeah. That's a very long list. It's a very long list. I don't design the products at, uh, at Defense. I, I okay. just advise on sustainability there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Just a small correction. Okay, yeah. And but Circo is a program of ClickNL, which is also a small, <laughs> a small but relevant thing to say. Of ClickNL? Yeah, ClickNL is the company that, that uh, co-created the, the, the program called Circo. Okay. And Circo are the actual workshops that we do. Ah, get. okay. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. complex, but it's it always needs to be communicated correctly yes yes that's <laughs> good <laughs> okay but yeah that's it's a very impressive list that you're doing now at the same time and uh, i also read that on your linkedin that uh, straight after your master's basically you kind of set up your own company that uh, created a biodegradable shoe so can yeah. you tell us a bit about that yeah, um, yeah. Like you said, after my graduation, I I started a company called Oat Shoes, and they were uh, biodegradable shoes that grow flowers. So my idea was I wanted to tell a story uh, with a product, basically, to add layers of value, um, and to uh, to somehow um, seduce people a little bit into into looking at the world in a different way, and and. Uh, looking at look at the world in a sustainable way really so i thought if i if i 
create shoes that you can plant in the ground and then flowers grow from them, then as a user you become part of the natural cycle of life. And that's a very intuitive and also sort of entertaining way uh, to communicate this sort of you know circular um, narrative. Yeah, so could you just, was it really the case that once you were done with the shoe you could just put it anywhere and it would decompose? Yeah, you, you could literally plant them in the ground. Um, but uh, it always depends on the type of soil that you put it in, uh, whether it degrades quickly or more slowly. So, you know, if you put it in uh, cold, wet clay, uh, then it, yeah. will, it will take a long time. Or in a desert ground, then, you know, we still find shoes from uh, 2,000 years ago uh, in the desert ground because nothing really happens there. So you need, uh, you know, certain temperatures, moisture, microbes, etc., to to really uh, degrade it. Yeah. Um, and and also a side note is that uh, I remember when I when I started, uh, it was to me it was really about telling the story. But a, a material scientist and even where we are today versus where we were then, a lot of people will say, well, that's ludicrous. Why would you create virgin material and put it in the ground after only one user cycle? You want to use it much more often. Yeah, um, but maybe it's not a problem if it's biodegradable, anyways, right? It's less of a problem because it will degrade, but you have put a lot of energy, which means mostly it means CO2, into creating this plastic, for example, which is biodegradable. So ideally you want to, you know, reuse that plastic for as yeah. long as possible. So I had a sort of a, a, th a three-step plan to first, uh, you know, uh, communicate this idea of, this, of the cycle and then eventually create a shoe that's also recyclable and ultimately biodegradable, but yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't get that far. <laughs> yeah, okay, but still, the the story indeed is very, very catchy. Mm. <laughs> and um, then we also have as our guest today Deborah Sumter. Hello. Hi. Hey. You did your uh, you recently actually defended your PhD thesis in Delft, and it was about uh, what companies designers should acquire in order to design circular mm. products and services. What competencies? I think you said companies. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so that, uh, that, yeah, I mean competencies. <laughs> True. Good correction. And um, and you also work as a science communication manager at the Center for Sustainability in Leiden. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. So yeah, what actually what made you uh, go into product design when you decided what to study? Um, yeah. So for me, when I went to the university, I actually. I think I just wanted to help people in a way and not necessarily in the way that you're, you want to go into like medicine or um, yeah, work in a hospital or whatever, but just help people by designing products that would make their life easier. Um, and that was something that really inspired me uh, at the TU Delft or at Industrial Design Engineering. And then when I started doing my bachelor's, I was like, I'm not sure <laughs> if I want to do this anymore because I saw a lot of people around me who wanted to work at like these big, um, big, bigger companies, at car companies, and that's not necessarily how I wanted to help people. Yeah. So uh, I was super happy that I did a minor international entrepreneurship and development. I always say this because that really inspired me because we did projects. Um, well, I did a project specifically in Tanzania, but it was just a course where you would focus more on, uh, on social uh, sustainability um, and work with people in other countries to solve more social related problems with your design thinking mindset um, 
so yeah that was that was one something that super inspired me uh yeah. and one of my coaches is also uh, someone that you're working with because <laughs> 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 uh, i was a Bauke Foss winner and she was also super inspirational uh nice. together with esther blom um yeah they were just a dynamic duo and they kind of inspired me as well with as my yeah, my yeah, one of my friends who also did the same course, and uh, that really influenced, I guess, my path as a designer and who I later became as a designer and also as a design researcher. Yeah, because I'm really focusing on using design to, yeah, solve more social problems, uh, environmental problems. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of my path uh, into design specifically. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Okay, so yeah, maybe the first thing we can talk about is just kind of define what circular economy is, because I think that it's a term that we hear a lot, but maybe it's not that clear. So maybe, Christian, um, you can kind of tell us what things are required for an economy to be completely circular. It's a very big question, uh, <laughs> because there are a lot of parts to it, but in it, when you look at the sort of the material part of it, um, it's about uh, value retention, really. So, so as you make a product, you add value, right? So you start with raw material, which is low value, and then you create a part, and then you create a product, and then that product is uh, sold. And then when the user has it, uh, in theory, that's the the tip of the the top of the the value pyramid. Yeah. Um, and when you throw out a product and it becomes uh, just a part of a landfill, then you just throw all that value away in one go. And so the circular economy uh, in that sense is is uh, finding ways to keep the value at the top of that pyramid for as long as possible, which means basically using the product for as long as possible. So the best new product is no new product. Uh, I guess we always say in, in most circular economy uh, uh, circles. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you want to repair it, you know, and then you want to um, uh, reuse it, refurbish it, and, and ultimately in the end somewhere recycling uh, comes uh, comes in. And if even that becomes impossible, then somehow you maybe you have to incinerate it or, you know, you hopefully... Uh, you can maybe biodegrade it or you can do something useful with it still then. Yeah, so you try to eliminate as much waste basically as possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In an ideal circular economy, there is no waste. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything to add to that, Deborah? No, I think that was a, <laughs> that was a great explanation actually. So, uh, okay. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Scientist approves. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, yeah, so it's, it's basically about eliminating waste, but is is also a part of circular economy that we want to um, make sure that we uh, um, put less carbon dioxide into the atmosphere because that's just like I guess a general requirement for sustainability but is that also a goal of the circular economy? Uh, um, negative impact, negative environmental impact uh, is part of the the sort of the measurements that you that you take into account. So carbon uh, is one of those, but um, uh, 
water usage, for example, is another, or the use of toxic uh, dyes for, for genes, for example, is, is another. So any, any uh, chemical or material or, or, or gas that is detrimental to the environment would or should be taken into account in, in an analysis um, of a circular product. Yeah, okay. And um, this is kind of a question to both. Like, do you, do you think that it is feasible to reach a completely uh, circular economy in the Netherlands or in the world? <laughs> Shall I go first? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's something to strive for, uh, but I would say that it would be kind of like a utopian world where, where there would no, never be any waste because there will always kind of be leakages, as they call it. Uh, so a little bit waste, and but I think circular economy is also something, to, yeah, something to strive for, and that would be um, it's far from where we are right now, uh, and from how our, our economy is operating. So I think it's also should should be used as kind of like this vision for the future, um, but a totally a circular world. I'm not sure if that's gonna be feasible or possible. Okay, um, yeah. but maybe you have other ideas because you're working in practice. So uh, well. And I am an idealist, so I'm going to say, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but but I, I think you're totally right in saying that it's it's a dot on the horizon that you want to keep your eye on. And then it's also uh, part, of, part of the design process in general is not to think too much about that ideal apart from it giving you direction. But then it's about the process, constantly looking for new solutions, better solutions to improve uh, and to design for for circularity, but also for the well-being of people, because that uh, increases the value of a product. And if we talk about value retention, you're also talking about all the different ways in which products can have value for people. Um, so that can be functional, that can be cultural, um, uh, social. Um, so, so there's all these different layers of value that you can that you can add in there. So you think that if if we use a product for longer, it will also be better for us in a sense, or? Yes, I think, I, um, I mean my house, but maybe I'm a weirdo, my house is full of uh, like furniture or, or, or things that, I, that my, my grandmother or my parents have used that, that have now been handed out to me. And I, I love the fact that I have those things, like the old chair that my mom bought when she was a student is now my favorite sort of comfort chair. Uh, and she loves it when she comes by to, to see that chair. But I like the idea that she once had it when she was a student. And, and even just, you know, pre-used or vintage furniture that somebody else sort of fixed up and adjusted, but it just has a cool look. And I don't even know the person, but it's nice to have, you know, that's the appeal of vintage furniture, I think, and that's now the appeal increasingly of vintage fashion as well. Yeah. Um, the idea to have original styles, you know, not new retro styles, but the original style has a certain allure to it, has a certain value to it. Um, so, so I think that's increasingly, that value is, is increasingly appreciated. Yeah, true. Yeah. And Deborah, so in uh, product design, what do we need to pay attention to specifically if we want to make it a circular product? Um, so yeah, so in my research, I, yeah, I looked at, I did different studies, talked to a lot of designers who were working in the circular realm or trying to make circular propositions. Uh, and throughout, I identified nine key competencies, and I'm not going to talk you through all of them, of course, 
Um, uh, yeah, you can read them in my thesis, of course. Uh, <laughs> but um, the most interesting one is, uh, w- well, one of the most interesting ones is systems thinking, uh, which is something that in the sustainability world it has been said quite often, but especially for a circular economy, I see the value of uh, acquiring systems thinking. And it's really also about like approaching um yeah approaching product design as not only designing the product but designing everything around it so the product that you're putting onto the market is circular uh so also thinking about flows of information like who else should be involved in there um because a circular product is not only something that one company designs but that you put on the market together with like a a group of or a value network of uh, companies because because they provide the 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 material from which you make the product yeah so for example as a company yourself you're you need for example a supplier but you also need someone in the end who's gonna maybe refurbish your product you could do it yourself of course but then you would also need to arrange for for example the product coming back to you so you can actually refurbish the product um if you would want to recycle it in the end you're often not going to do it yourself but there's someone else who, who does that so it's it's quite of like a network of companies or people involved um and well just talking personally about my experience in design i was really trained about like really focusing on the product a little bit on the service but circular economy really pushes that uh, i see and also pushes designers to think now about like the future of their pro- of the products that they put on uh, put onto the market so that's why i saw a lot of value in systems thinking yeah um and then there's also competencies focusing on designing for recovery so that's all the different strategies like repairing your product remanufacturing your product um making products fit to do that um and i would also say the two other competencies are the collaborative aspect so the uh, circular economy collaboration um where designers would also have to think, okay, so what, as what I said, like who else is involved? Who do I collaborate with? Um, who else within the companies also should I get on board? And also talking about that, I saw the circular economy storytelling was also quite important because I often saw that circular economy is quite something new and the designers that I talked to also had to get people on board to... Uh, actually buy into the uh, buy into the concept they had to get the users on board uh, but like to accept these circular products so it was also about designers telling more stories around the circular economy in order to uh, in in yeah in order to convince yeah. people basically to to convince people to actually uh, yeah go on with them and 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 go on with them with the, on the journey basically on of designing the products accepting the products using the products putting the products on the market. Yeah, so that's kind um, of part of promotion then also of your product, right? Yeah, a little yeah. bit of promotion, but also really, because circular economy is quite, some people equate it with, okay, it's just recycling, but it's more than that. So it's uh, really about what, what Christian also said, like about value retention and mainly on like a high value level. So if you would re- make, put in all the effort to make a product, then why, directly recycle it focus first on making a product that you that users could repair at home or that you would remanufacture as a company because then you would really keep the product as as whole as as possible basically uh well if you would recycle it it would cost more effort um so in that sense it's also about like telling about what what the circular economy is and that it's also focusing uh, focused focused on 
um, yeah, not necessarily only recycling. It's more than that. Uh, yeah. And um, making people understand what the concept basically is about so they really understand why it's interesting to actually buy these circular yeah. products. Yeah, yeah, okay, so we have the storytelling, the that they are able to do like system thinking. So mm -hmm. think about the what happens before they make the product and after, right? Yeah. And about collaborating with others, mm -hmm. other designers and people. And what was the other one? The yeah, well, those are the yeah the, the most ones. interesting uh, competencies. Yeah. And then there are a few others which are really focused on the design sphere, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I'm not gonna go too much into detail about those. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And do you think that uh, like? companies will be interested in in your result like these results from your phd thesis like to know what type of uh, competencies designers should have oh good question yeah <laughs> i i i had a, like after like of course i told the world that i defended my thesis and that i was a doctor <laughs> now uh, yeah congrats but yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I did get a few replies and some uh, inv invitations to do some presentations about my work. Uh, I am not necessarily actively putting it out there, uh, like my work itself. I would like to, uh, this is speaking things into existence, I think, I would like to develop like more kind of workshop formats based on the, based on my findings. Um, yeah. So maybe a link to Circo. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Um, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I think it, it could be something in, uh, which companies are interested in. And I and I got some re reactions here and there from people who are already focusing on, okay, so what are these new skills and competencies and want to learn more about like my research. So yeah. yeah, that was really nice to kind of yeah feel that you did something valuable and contributed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, because for example, how do you think that companies could make sure they do more systems thinking like do you think there should be kind of a network for designers or what yeah what do you yeah think i think this? it could be in different in different ways i think there might be some companies already focusing on that mm -hmm. um but it's also quite a i would say a complex skill to 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 acquire mm -hmm. um because you can approach this in super yeah different ways. You could say, okay, systems thinking is just uh, yeah for designers to understand, okay, that it's not only about the product but about more, and for them to think along, okay, so if I do this, then what happens there, and what happens there in in the in the system, and map that out. Um, but you could also make it really complex and say, okay, uh, applying specific models. So it's, I think it would really be context specific uh, on how, uh, how specific companies uh, would need that uh, need this competency to be applied. Uh, so I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. I, I can't like give one answer. I would be. I would say that it's really context specific. Um, yeah. How the how this competency would be developed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
Christian, you know a bit more about kind of the how all of this really happens in practice because you, well, you had your own uh, company with the biodegradable shoes, the Oat Shoes, and now you're doing uh, coaching uh, for sustainable innovation. So, uh, what do you notice? What like what, what, yeah, what kind of problems um, do entrepreneurs have when they when they try to make their product circular? Uh, I think a lot of companies that that want to start with circularity and that but that are that are already established companies struggle with a lot of just uncertainty uh, and and also even insecurity about uh, what to do and also am I going to do it right because they're very uh, scared if, especially if they're high profile companies that they're going to ha have their head chopped off publicly if they if they claim something that maybe they didn't do right uh, but they didn't have the know-how to maybe make the right claim. So, so in what sense? So they would claim that they are circular, but then they're not. Or yeah, for example, they they um, might claim that they that they that they have a circular sweater or something because they they uh, made some recycled uh, use some recycled fibers, but maybe it's only thirty uh, percent. And then you know the more critical people who are more involved in circularity will be will say well. It's a step, but you know, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> and and there is always this sort of area of tension where uh, you want to applaud every positive step that's being taken. Uh, on the other hand, you want to um, sort of motivate uh, and and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, well get people motivated to do more than they're doing, to be more ambitious. Uh, and not to just approach it from a sort of a market opportunity uh, point of view, but really to understand that, that this is a systemic change that you're trying to uh, uh, make happen and that this required bold steps and a different way of looking at entrepreneurship and, and, um, and doing business. Yeah, because I guess it's not very attractive money-wise to make a product circular. Uh, it can be. Like there, are, there are some strategies that are really popular, um, mm. like uh, like the sort of the leasing strategy, where you, where you lease out a product instead of selling it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, you retain the customer because you have more customer engagement because there's a service attached to it. Um, you can you can take back the um, or you you have the appliance that you're whatever appliance it is that you're that you're selling or in this case leasing um, yes you are incentivized to make it a higher quality product so it lasts longer but you can also take back all the materials and then repurpose those so there there are also ways of uh, being circular where it saves money and actually uh, engages your customer more yeah uh, and so then it, it becomes an actual very profitable uh, yeah. business do you actually know an example of a company that like already leases their products which is used often or which is kind of successful um i know one that we had in the circle class but I'm, I'm not sure they already implemented it and how how public they are but i know i think that uh michibishi elevators was actually a, a, is a famous example where they didn't sell the elevator to the office building or hotel uh, or whatever it was but they leased it yeah. Um, and so they had just had a service contract with them. And of course, a very famous uh, example. Um, oh, now I forget the name, but they are leasing. Um, th they're not even actually that's an access model. They're not even leasing you the um, the laundry machine, but they're you're buying the washes that you're doing, the the, the laundry that you do, bundles, bundles. bundles yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they do the same with coffee, I think, and they do third uh, service now i think so that's the access model where you say the only thing that you're buying really um 
is the the usage of of the so the the product that you want so i want clean laundry so i'm yeah. buying clean laundry from from them basically. but you do get the actual machine so at you get your the, home yeah you get the machine and it's got a little counter on it i think and you can and you uh, you know they know exactly how much laundry detergent you use etc and uh, and so you pay per usage or per bundle uh, yeah. usage uh, and uh, philips uh, uh, sold lighting uh, at a certain point instead of selling lights they sold lighting yeah uh, and so they the, the the lights stay on their uh, balance sheet basically yeah and so then uh, w- when the people are done with the product the the company will come and get it back and then will it be repaired or do they recycle it or what yeah then done? then it's in their uh, interest to to either repair or repurpose the uh, yeah. the laundry machine or the light uh, for as long as possible uh, yeah. so they can just yeah the, the least money they have to put into keeping it running uh, the, the better for them yeah okay so this leasing can be uh, how do you say it can be beneficial. lucrative yeah it can, can yeah. be uh, profitable yeah, yeah profitable exactly um but yeah do you do you also notice for example that these competencies that uh Deborah listed in her PhD thesis that um that these things are useful or that people miss these things now when they when they design products yeah i think espe- well the 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 design related competencies obviously are are super relevant uh, like designing for for uh recollection how did you recovery recovery mm. those are at the at the core of, yeah. of designing uh, circular products uh, i think storytelling is a super important one both towards the consumer um, as towards uh, fellow employees or management uh, because often when sustainability doesn't work in a company the transition doesn't work is when the leadership doesn't take clear decisions or isn't fully on board with the new uh, strategy uh, and that might mean that for example they have competing incentives in the company so maybe the, uh, a buyer might be incentivized to buy uh, very cheap materials and that gives them a bonus at the end of the year but then the CSR manager is incentivized to try to get circular solutions going and make the company more sustainable Yeah. and if the, if, uh, the leadership of the company doesn't have a clear strategy and says no uh, CSR uh, takes primacy over the buyer incentive to create cheaper to have cheaper materials mm-hmm. um, then you you get a conflict and then internally they, ha- they have to sort of compete for Having a more circular yeah, product. Yeah, yeah. Does it have to be cheap or does it have to be uh, circular? But how, how can the leadership of the company itself in incentivize the others? You Well, um, for leadership, it's, I think it's often difficult to um, make very... Uh, to be very clear about the consequences of the choice that you make when you go circular. Um, so, yeah. you know, traditionally companies try to create... Uh, a product for as m- that you can sell for as much value as possible, but make it as che- make it as cheaply as possible. Yeah. And a circular economy kind of changes that because you take a more long-term uh, view. And as we just discussed, you have different business different business models. So suddenly, it might pay to to have a more expensive, high-quality product that you can use for a longer time if you can just rent it out and and make a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be very clear what the comp- what the consequences are of the choices that you make. So the buyer knows what to buy, and the and the factory knows 
um, what you know not to cut any corners because they have to make a cheap product so yeah. it that's and that's where communication obviously comes in one of the competencies as well across the supply chain everybody needs to be on board another big challenge of of traditional companies is that very often the supply chain is completely intransparent so if i usually uh, if a average shoe company for example that that has a design and they send it to a factory in in china or india they have to make the shoes where they source those materials half of the time is completely unknown for the public or also for the people who work for the factory for the brand as well Uh, they don't know they just get the product yeah Uh, they just want this type of leather with this type of color and this type of finishing or that's kind of plastic or this kind these kind of so they dictate sort of the specifications and then it's up to the factory to make it happen yeah. Uh, and so the factory will do anything to do that as cheaply as possible because the brand is putting pressure you know, on the factory to yeah. make this, this shoe as cheaply as possible. But when you go circular, suddenly you, you, ha- you, wanna, you, ha- you, you have to be re- uh, responsible for the complete supply chain. So suddenly you have to know where all these materials come from. Yeah, you need systems thinking. You need <laughs> systems thinking, exactly. So uh, a big, big challenge is then for these poor CSR managers uh, and supply chain managers to uncover the complete supply chain uh, of, 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 of not one uh, you know, pair of shoes, for example, in this case. But if you have a company that sells 20 different models uh, in all these different sizes with all these different materials and different variations, that's a lot of people that have to talk to and to ask, where do you get your leather? Where do you get your yeah. you know, outsoles, etc.? Yeah. And uh, are companies incentivized by the government as well? Like, do, do they get subsidies or anything if they make something circular? There are there are subsidies. There are um, uh, there are R and D subsidies, for example, if you really want to innovate and develop new technology. Uh, but there's also legislation coming up where um, there's already a covenant. Is that called a covenant in English as well? Sort of an agreement in the textile industry in Holland, where voluntarily they say we're we're going to take an ex- extended supply chain responsibility. So we're not just responsible for the product that we make, and as soon as it, you know, is it if, if as soon as somebody buys, it's not our problem anymore. No, we're going to take responsibility for the complete chain, which means we have to organize infrastructure to. Um, take back the textiles and somehow repurpose the textiles. And that's a really big thing to do, uh, yeah. especially voluntarily. But now actually there's legislation in the uh, in Parliament to make that official. And uh, and if I'm correct, there's talk about ex- expanding that not just for textiles but for other industries as well. Yeah. So that type of legislation is really important to incentivize uh, uh, companies to really take responsibility for their complete uh, for the complete life cycle really. Of, yeah. um, of the products that yeah, they I can market. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think on European level, there's also quite a big push on repair. So right to repair, stuff like that. I'm not sure specifically whether there are already also like these agreements or confidence, but uh, I know that there's quite a big fuss around like making pro- products specifically white goods, so wash machines and stuff like that, more repairable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the EU will also fund... Uh, I'm not sure specifically that. on the funding, but yeah. I, I know there's a big development in terms of policy. So I think that's also going to come up uh, quite soon. Yeah, yeah, okay, that also sounds good. Yeah, because I can imagine that some of the kind of bigger companies, I don't know if they are multinationals, but that they maybe not are in, that they are not inherently like motivated to make circular products. So they really need a push from the government. 
Yeah. But but do you also, for example, need a Christian need to coach companies that kind of need to comply with circular standards, even though they don't really want to? <laughs> <laughs> Or um, then, if I've only talked really to companies that that come to me that f figured that they want to, but it might be a, in a very reactive way. So they understand that the market is moving in that direction and, tha and that there's a demand, uh, that there's a customer demand for it. And now they see it as sort of a competitive advantage to become more sustainable or more circular. And so now they want to beat the competition by being more sustainable, which, yeah. uh, which is a step forward but is also uh, still a, a step away from sort of a, I guess a more circular approach to business is, is being less competitive and being more collaborative mm -hmm. and being growth agnostic, even if you look at uh, donut economics from Kate Raworth. What is that? The donut economics basically says, um, uh, um, uh, provide uh, for everyone's needs within the needs of the planet. So. On it, it's a donut shape and on the inside of the donut is the sort of the social um, uh, so social safety net let's say so nobody should fall through that that middle hole um, so every person on the planet should should have uh, enough uh, possibility to have food a uh, you know a uh, uh, roof over the head uh, safe community etc yeah, like human rights yeah. basic human rights mm -hmm. uh, and on the on the outside of the donut is um, the planet's boundaries basically so right now right now each year uh, there's the uh, somewhere in, in July or August I think there's the earth threshold day where we officially use up uh, we have used up all of the Earth's uh, resources for that year. Oh, okay. But we, but we, so we use it up in July. So it's half <laughs> half a year where we overshoot, basically. It's yeah. Earth Overshoot Day. That's, yeah. what, that's what it's called. So we're using twice too much. We're basically using two planets right now in terms <laughs> of resources. And so Kate Raworth says w we should... We should try to limit that to yeah. one, <laughs> yeah. uh, but still uh, meet everybody's needs for just a safe, healthy, uh, happy life. Yeah. Um, and so, and part of the conclusions that she draws also is is that companies would then have to be growth agnostic. So you, which basically means we s in the in capitalist society we see growth as an imperative. If you're not growing, then you're losing, then you're falling behind. Which is, which is crazy to think about if you realize, obviously, that we're living on a finite planet and most of the, uh, the materials that we're using are resources that we can't um, renew mm -hmm. because oil, minerals, uh, you know, metals, uh, lead, uh, gold, gold, iridium, uh, all these things that uh, people put in batteries and, and uh, mobile phones, they're all running out. Uh, some of them are 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 um, projected to run out in the next five to ten years. Yeah, that's so <laughs> it's crazy to realize, but yeah. nobody's talking about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah so le lead is is projected to be, if if we continue to use it uh, increasingly as as we are, it's projected to to be done in like five to ten years. So what do we do? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What do we do? <laughs> well, if you, <laughs> my colleague this morning said that like. Showed this chart and he's like, so if you have lead on your roof, hold on to it because it's going to be really <laughs> valuable really soon. Yeah. Um, and these things are subject to change as we as the as the usage changes also. Uh, but yeah, a lot of these things are critical right now. Yeah. And and yeah, to you both, like, what do you think that because the government said that the Netherlands should be um, 
completely circular in 2050. And yeah, what do you think that needs to be done to make sure that this will happen? And what what can the role of the government be? We already talked about legislation, but maybe you have other ideas. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I think I think in in general it would still I I would say still legislation, but also subsidizing and incentivizing companies to to ex- actually explore the opportunity of going circular uh, and and the potential for it for them themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, and focusing more on the strategies strategies like what does it mean for if the Netherlands would be circular? Because I feel like it's just something that that an ambition is set, but then now we have to see. Okay, so how do we get there? How do we then incentivize the the companies and organizations to actually implement uh, all these strategies and all uh, and everything around the circular economy um, so focusing more on repair on uh, thinking more or freeing up more research money about like on repa- uh, next to repair on recycling but also on remanufacturing um, and also incentivizing that through subsidies I would say because now there, yeah, there is some money here and there, but I feel like it's also for the companies that already have that ambition, maybe from maybe intrinsically. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that would that's what I that's is that's what I would say. I think. Yeah. yeah. Maybe even uh, what do you call it? Like a punishment? Like a. Yeah. yeah. The, well, the polluter pays is one yeah. of the, is, a, is a big yeah. Uh, yeah. you know uh, um, sort of rule motto. that people change <laughs> motto exactly. Uh, and I think that's really uh, that that's a very big one. I, I read this morning, no, this afternoon. I, I read about the um, it was a study done in Delft as well, where they um, uh, had I think ten thousand uh, civilians um, uh, basically think about the different sustainability challenges that are facing us, and uh, not like a referendum, you know, where you get a question and it's yes or no, and you're and you're always like, well, depends because you know <laughs> what else uh, are the options and what is it, uh, what are the consequences, blah blah blah. So here they said, okay, we can do this, we can do this. These are the consequences, but you can also do that. So they had people really think about uh, these problems in the way that 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 politicians are really or should be thinking about it as well. So what kind of questions or um, options were like, there? Like uh, like. Uh, polluter pays or like should there be a tax on meat mm-hmm. or um, would you want uh, windmills in your back garden yeah or um, do you want people who use the car more to pay more uh, taxes yeah Th- those types of things um, and what came out I thought was really interesting I don't have all the conclusions memorized but um, it, it shows that 25% of people are are on the extreme. So they're either completely against whatever climate change uh, climate change uh, rules you can think of. No, <laughs> the others are we're not moving fast enough. We're not moving fast enough. We need to do more. Yeah, <laughs> 75% of people are in the middle, and those are statistically the people that say, well, um, if as long as the government shows that they're doing everything they can to get the biggest polluters to contribute the most and to um, use the, the solutions that they can to, to, to the best that they can, um, then people are very uh, open to things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, driving the car uh, and being, if you drive more, tax more, or, or having a meat tax. So as long as the government shows that they have a clear agenda and they're doing everything they can to, to get those responsible to, to do the most, 
then most people are are very willing to to take a step extra yeah. step to to put in their bit that's quite assuring i mean that's a nice i thought it was really cool yeah. yeah and i thought it was a really cool way to get uh people to um weigh in on public policy because yeah one question to them was how do you feel about you know being being asked to do this and they were like i feel like i'm being asked to be uh, to be involved in public policy so i feel like this this sort of uh, narrows the gap between politicians and um, and civilians yeah so t if you could do this type of thing even on a local scale in local towns and neighborhoods to me that would be so interesting because then you can uh, enact and and actually execute uh, sustainable policy in local uh, environments and potentially accelerate that that change yeah yeah i can also imagine that like if all of a sudden like a windmill gets put in your front yard yeah. then you're like what well, i yeah. don't want this but if you really think about it from a policy perspective and you realize oh there's not many other options yeah. and maybe yeah. i will just have to do it yeah or you get yeah. to weigh in on the on yeah. the on the, on the decision making then maybe you'll be okay well actually this might be the best option yeah and one final thing that i was thinking about when you were uh, talking um, uh, deborah was uh, a really clear vision of where we want to be uh, with a circular economy. So a clear vision of what does that society look like? What what do products look like? Yeah. What do services look like? And let's go t in that direction. Because yeah. right now we have a prime minister that's kind of known for not wanting a vision. Vision stands in the way of the of the, of the view, I think is something that he, that he said. When what we need is exactly that. We need a clear uh, uh, vision of what a, a circular future or, f or a society that's organized around this uh, an idea of well-being of being for the well-being of people right instead of profit and productivity which is basically what we're what we're organized around now yeah oh let's create a society that's organized around well-being what does that look like and and make it concrete uh, I, you know i don't care make a movie out of it make make posters make a vision board uh, but create something that is very concrete for people to to then um work on and to and to move towards yeah well i hope that this podcast episode will also help a bit <laughs> with this <laughs> i hope so but yeah so thank you both for coming i had a lot of fun thank you yeah thank you and if you like this episode we also have an episode out with michael kuipers in which we talk about how craftsmanship and products that have a more emotional value for us can improve sustainable material use and um, Deborah also works on her own podcast called Uit de Ivoren Toren, which focuses completely on circular economy and sustainability. So if you want to know more about this and about Christian's and Deborah's work, we will, uh, we will link their information in the episode description on our streaming platforms. And yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will get back to you soon.